0: Welcome to the Adaptable Podcast, we're your hosts, Morgan, Anna, Claire, a group of physical therapists and student physical therapists who are dedicated to building a community and
1: breaking down barriers for individuals with disabilities and chronic illnesses who are or want to become a part of our profession.
2: Join us as we embark on this journey and get to know some incredible individuals along the way. Welcome back to another episode of the Adaptable Podcast. Today we have a super exciting guest. Um, we have Natasha from all the way from the UK. So this is our first international guest episode.
1: Woo-hoo. Yeah.
2: So why don't you tell us a little bit about
3: yourself? Okay. And um, so my name's Tash. And. I live in Cumbria in the UK, so the Lake District. So I live in a little village by the seaside. And then I'm sort of surrounded by mountains and fields and cows and sheep and lots of farmers. Um, so it's super lovely. It's very quaint, very slow paced. Um, I work full time as a physio um, in the NHS. So I work just up at my little local hospital and um, previously worked in a big scary hospital, um, during the first wave of COVID. Um, but it's nicer being in a little little hospital. Um, I got into physio. Well, short story, I got into physio because I have a lot of health conditions and decided to be a martyr and wanted to fix the world because nobody fixed me when I was a child. But we'll uh, we can go into that in a bit more detail. But that's pretty much me. I spend my spare time drinking lots and lots of tea, baking cinnabuns, and going rock climbing and that's about it really.
2: You mentioned that you had a lot of health conditions and that's kind of what got you into physio. Do you mind kind of elaborating on that?
3: Uh, yeah sure so I was, it sort of all started when I was Well, when I was born, I was born premature. And then growing up, I was clumsy as a toddler. I was always falling over. Uh, It took me a while to start walking. And then when I learned how to run, I was such a hazard because I would just run in funny directions and fall over a lot. And nobody really knew why. And it didn't really get looked into because... I was fine and as I got a little bit older I got really interested in gymnastics so I used to watch it with my grandma on the tv um, and one of my other grandparents bought us a trampoline and well terrifying now but I like taught myself how to do somersaults and backflips I used to practice on like jumping on and off the garden wall and and how my parents allowed me to practice doing somersaults off, of, off a garden wall onto a trampoline, I do not know, but they obviously weren't concerned because I was obviously doing them okay. Um, and then sort of, yeah, got into gymnastics and got scouted for um, sort of the, the cl- a club in Cumbria up in North Cumbria and I started going there and my dream had always been uh, to be an Olympian. So whenever I'd started watching the Olympics with my grandma or gymnastics on telly, i um, that was sort of what my dream was. Um, but through the course of me pursuing gymnastics, I used to just hurt myself all the time. I would just sprain my ankles constantly. I would always, whenever I would land from tumbles, like my legs would give way and I would fall and scream. Um, I you know, got like ankle braces. I was given knee braces and was just on crutches all the time. And sort of trying to get things looked into um there's a lot of health inequalities um sort of geographically as well as internationally which I'm sure you'd be aware of so in because of where I live in like a little village like in the mountains um there isn't that much in terms of specialist sort of healthcare. care um so and my parents would take I would go to AE e quite a lot or they would take me to different people um and everyone would just be like, we don't know what's wrong with her or there's nothing wrong with her. Um, or if I was limping and I couldn't put weight down through my ankle because I was like screaming in pain, um, you know, they would do scans and be like, there's nothing wrong with her ankle, she should be walking. Um, things got really quite complicated then. So I, there was a lot of trauma I went through as a child for that reason, because to me, all of my symptoms were always very real Um, I was always in pain and I was always hurting myself and I didn't know why Um, and nobody really picked up on it. I was sort of told when I was about 11 or 12 um, that if I I continued in my pursuit of, you know, gymnastics that I would probably put myself in a wheelchair um, in pursuit of that. Um, And at sort of age 11, I I was at the right sort of level and the right sort of age that, you know, if I really committed to it, there was the potential that it could have happened for me. Um, But it was around about sort of between that, like age 11 and the next couple of years, um, my health ended up deteriorating quite significantly to the fact that I had to quit gymnastics Um, and I did a number of other sports as well for like at county level. And so I did like karate and athletics and football and everything. And I just sort of have to give it all up because I couldn't really walk. Um, and I, it was very difficult for my parents as well. They were trying really hard not to force me to stop any of my activities, but at the same time, we're obviously sitting there and, you know, I can't imagine how it must have been for them, but to cons- consistently see me hurting myself and putting myself through all this trauma again and again. Um, and, it basically got to a point where it came to a head and I realised that I just, you know, I gave everything up and I was a bit lost for quite a few years, if I'm honest. I went a little bit off the rails, shall we say, acted out. I, you know, I blamed my parents for a lot of things with the fact that I couldn't follow my dream. I was angry, you know, at every healthcare professional I'd ever came across because no one had ever helped me and no one had ever looked after me and I well, I was just quite angry, um, but then sort of working my way through all of that, I realised that, you know, being angry at the world's never going to get me anywhere, I'm not going to change anything or make anybody's life any better by just staying angry, um, and that's why I went um, and did a degree in sports therapy, so to me at the time, I was like, all of my problems were made worse by sport, and I had to give up everything because of injuries through sport Um, and I went to university to study that degree and specifically to work with athletes or aspiring athletes and sports people so that no one would ever have to give up their dream or anything in the face of an injury and is basically where I was and so I did that degree and then worked for um, about a year sort of freelance for myself just doing therapy sort of in and around the local community and at gyms and then decided that I wanted to widen my scope of practice um, and do a bit more and so I went and did a master's degree in physio and between doing my first degree and going on to my master's um, I had a couple of absolutely outstanding lecturers um, that sort of when they seen me and they sort of seen what my posture was like were like this isn't normal like you shouldn't be in this much pain um I very much would sort of I had sort of really flat feet and like my knees would twist in I would be leaning quite far forward and have like really terrible sort of um, proprioception and self-awareness and things that if they brought me into midline I would fall backwards um and I became a bit of a case study at university itself when we were learning how do you do a subjective assessment how do you do an objective assessment and you know we started working out all these things and it was like oh I'm positive on this test and I'm positive on this special test and what does all this mean and um, we basically between myself and some of my friends we diagnosed me with hypermobility syndrome um, but then we were a bit like no there's more going on and we dug deeper and we basically were really confident that I had ehlers loss. I then went to um, my GP and was like, I want things looked back into again. So when I was 14, I'd withdrew all of my care from local healthcare services because I was still angry at them all. Um, but then five years later at 19, I was like, we've sussed it out ourselves. This is what it is. I went to see a specialist, a rheumatology consultant, Um, But again, I was told that, you know, that wasn't accurate and that I was, you know, making up all my symptoms, that I didn't have any of these things wrong with me. I was told I was maybe a little bit hypermobile, but there wasn't anything they would do for me. So then that, again, was a massive setback personally, but was sort of the ignition for me professionally, shall we say, as a physio. And then obviously through my years of study, I basically just worked on myself and I was like, no, these are all these things that are wrong. I'm going to work out how to fix them. And gradually through the help of, you know, my lecturers and my friends and lots of hard work myself, corrected a lot of things to a point um, and was, you know, being able to self-manage all my symptoms and then sort of last year, I relocated from Liverpool back up to the Lake District, where I'm from. So around the same time that my partner left the Marines and was moving back home. And we were sort of settled um, back in Cumbria. And I got a promotion at my local hospital as well into a senior position. And I just started to think, you know, if there's ever a time that anyone's ever going to believe me, you know it would be now um you know i'm established in my field as a professional i'm a senior i know what i'm talking about um and yeah so then referred myself back into rheumatology services and met an amazing consultant who i was all but ready to just have an argument with about everything i had a folder with me that had loads of research journals in it loads of different things I had all these different assessment documents from you know myself and my friends from over the years and different pictures of sort of like what my posture used to look like what it's like now and everything um, and I was really really well prepared and well informed to sort of have this discussion with somebody Um, and actually a consultant that I spoke to was Lorcom in and he's based down south in a big hospital somewhere. And as soon as we started talking, he was just like, yeah, you're absolutely right. You've got ehlers loss. you've got this, you've got that, you've got the other. Um, we then went on to talk a little bit more about sort of fibromyalgia as a condition and how due to a lot of the psychological and emotional trauma I went through over 25 years, how that sort of impacted and exacerbated a lot of my symptoms And yeah, it was a big relief in some ways. It was nice to finally feel, like finally be acknowledged, to finally get validation for my symptoms. That's basically it really. But it's meant that, you know, all the years that I've been working as a physio and things, I've always used my personal experiences to really drive me at work in terms of trying to be the healthcare professional I wished somebody had been for me so I really try and be an advocate for my patients and I'm just so passionate about helping people regain their independence and things but it can be extremely hard to do balancing working full-time whilst juggling all these health conditions whilst there's a global pandemic happening as well and um, but yeah that's sort of where we're up to in terms of my health and what I'm up to
2: that's really incredible, but you were able to, you were figuring yourself out. You and your classmates had it pretty much nailed down to the T. You had to keep pushing and pushing and pushing. I'm kind of curious how like the NHS system played into that and how more complex diagnoses work within NHS.
3: Um, so obviously, We are so lucky in the country to have the NHS. It's an absolutely brilliant resource. Um, At the minute, obviously, it's very challenging, given all the strains with regards to COVID um, in terms of, you know, staffing and funding and everything. And that's sort of what happened to me when I was younger, that there wasn't really the specialist sort of services available to me. Um, So in my... Where I live, there's um, a couple of like sort of smaller little local hospitals that have a couple of wards in, and um, you know, so they'll have standard like medical wards, orthopedic wards, and um, like a stroke ward. But it might just be like stroke rehab, and that the acute strokes will go to a bigger hospital elsewhere and then come back to the area. Um, so for me, when I was growing up, um, I was just referred to children's services, and um, and they just referred me to orthotics to get, like, maybe some insoles and some braces. And they, you know, they provided that and then were like, I don't know, crack on. Um, but then, you know, I was referred into disabled services. But again, because I didn't have any sort of diagnoses, they, I wasn't technically disabled, and therefore they couldn't really provide me with too much support. And again, you know, I I had seen physio once or twice when I was a child um, in terms of just rehabbing from a very specific injury. But again, it it was difficult because even if somebody had the know-how that they thought there was something else going on, it would be, but where do we send her to? Who do we refer her to? There isn't that support here. Um, Now, obviously that changes massively geographically. So down in London, for example, um, you know, they have a specialist Dan Danlos service and hypermobility spectrum disorder service. Um, and there are a few like fantastic consultants that work at different um, hospital sites, um, you know, rheumatologists and whatnot. But again, they're predominantly based in the South. And, um, you know, obviously London being our capital and where most of the population are and things, more of the services are down there. Certainly, since I got my diagnoses, I've, you know, reached out through Ellersdan Loss UK um, and found out that they do have like a support group for the whole of the Northwest. Um, And actually, in terms of speaking to people there, you know, other people have been able to give names of certain consultants to look out for or certain services in different areas of the country that, you know, are really good um, at picking people up. But, yeah, it was, it was difficult, difficult for me. I know, obviously, since working in the trust that I do um, and obviously having the knowledge and understanding of the condition I have, because obviously I have was sure I've had well obviously had this condition all my life, but when I was 19, I was sure that this is what it was. Um, so, you know, my knowledge base, my understanding of this condition, you know, was quite paramount. But, you know, even since I've had my diagnosis, most, well, nearly all of my colleagues in physio, nobody has ever heard of it before. Um, A lot of the doctors, when I've spoken to, like, doctors and nurses on the wards, some of them have heard of it but didn't really know what it was. Um, So, you know, even in the hospital now, even though I have this condition and I, you know, I'm very open in terms of talking about it and, like, the myriad of symptoms that that I can have or that anyone can have, um, there is still a general, Ella's what? Ella's done what? I don't don't know what that is. Um, So it's been quite difficult up here in Cumbria, um, for me especially, because I felt a little bit isolated, but certainly with regards to diagnoses, I know a lot of people, it takes a long, long time to get a diagnosis um, because people look at, isolated problems and they don't look holistically at the whole patient and people aren't as good at the minute as connecting all the dots but I think that's because if you connect all the dots you know your differential diagnosis could be absolutely huge Of it, and it's easier to give people three or four little different diagnoses than it is to really look into all of that at length um, and find what the root cause is. it's it's getting better um and I'm very privileged that I have some uh, a lot of friends who are junior doctors and student doctors who I've been doing some research with in terms of developing case studies that they're presenting at university um, and at teaching conferences to try and obviously increase the understanding and try and you know try and teach this sort of the next generation of medics How they can do things a little bit differently that might be a little bit better for everyone and so fingers crossed for a little bit of change really.
2: I really like that like you've been able to work interprofessionally especially with upcoming medical professionals those who are in training because that's where like yes we can look at the people who are already in the field but we also need to create a systemic change starting
1: with the training. I kind of want to jump off something easier about how it was really hard to figure out how to like life and diagnoses and working in the medical field and I know that's one thing that like our listeners have said hey we're really struggling with how do we balance school and or the profession with our health conditions so what kind of advice would you give somebody who's maybe struggling with that or what outlets have you used to manage that
3: okay and um, so i completely agree that it is chaotic as trying to balance university you know studies with work with anything else from when i was in university till now my physical health um has just been on peaks and troughs so it's been on a bit of a roller coaster and um, i I'm really stubborn, really. That's my biggest problem. I don't like being cooped up in the house. So I'm like, well, I want to go outside constantly. And then I always want to exercise. And even if sometimes my body is trying to tell me not to, I'm just like, it's fine. I can totally do it. Um, so in terms of actually juggling everything, I've been a bit, a bit naff at it, if I'm honest. I've not always been the best at it. Um, But recently, with regards to sort of COVID and how that's impacted everything at work as well as impacted home life, social life and everything, I really had to just sort of stop and reflect on how I've lived my life the past few years and how I'm doing it now and how I want to live my life in the future. Um, And sort of, you know, it was quite bullheaded and immature of me to... Just be like, I can work full time and I can do this and I can do that and I don't need any help. And a lot of that stems from the fact that I didn't really receive a lot of help and support when I was younger with regards to managing my health. So I've built up a a very big brick wall around myself and just wouldn't let anybody help, Um, which over time ended up being quite detrimental to me physically, but also to my mental health it was even harder to manage because I didn't really know what I was working with. More recently, I've been trying to listen to my body properly and to try and actually acknowledge my own symptoms a little bit more. Um, you know, so I, my, I'm very lucky that my baseline of pain and fatigue is manageable um, and does allow me to work full time and does allow me to, you know, exercise and train. I know lots of people, in my position that have the same condition and because the symptoms are so different person to person that, you know, they're not in the same position I am. Um, But what I've had to try and be much better with is acknowledging that I do have these health conditions and that these will impact me at work. These will impact what I can do in life. I'm still really struggling to accept that I have some limitations because nobody ever really wants to accept they have limitations because everyone wants to believe the world's their oyster. And it's not really. The world's not your oyster, not for everyone. So I'm still struggling with that. But what I do always try to do is I make sure that I have like a good routine. So I get up at the same time every day. I go to bed at the same time every night. Um, you know, I always meal prep all my meals for at least for the through the week when I'm at work. Um, and I've always make sure that I'm getting obviously like enough protein as well because of the difficulties regarding collagen um, and my condition. So I always make sure that I'm eating right. Am, I'm drinking plenty of water and tea, lots of tea, but and you know that I, you know, sleep well, I have a good sleep routine as well. And I've just started to be a bit more honest with how I'm feeling. I think COVID's forced that upon me, really, because where a lot of people are a bit like, I'm feeling a bit run down, I'm feeling a bit tired, like COVID's really hard emotionally. And I'm like, I'm there, I'm with you with that. But also, you know, I have chronic fatigue, I have chronic pain, you know, my joint sublux and all these other things that really I've had to sort of take a step back and be like, I can't expect myself to work at the same level everybody else is because I have all these other things going on. And really it was my partner that's my partner's amazing. He's very, very supportive, but he's also really, really stubborn. <laughs> and we, we have a great relationship where we work very well as a team and we're, we're not the type of people to try and tell the other person what they can or can't do. Um, I'm blessed with the fact that my partner is a massive feminist and is like, you're a strong, independent woman, Tash. You can do whatever you want. You're an amazing physio. You're an amazing whatever. But then every now and again, he's like, <clears throat> listen to your body. Tash, stop it. Um, and so... <laughs> i have to sort of listen to him sometimes because he's better at advocating for me than i am for myself sometimes um but that is improving with time but i think the most important thing that anyone can really do in terms of trying to manage balance and everything is just to start being honest about it all so be honest about how physically demanding things are how emotionally demanding things are psychologically you know uni is so hard and you know trawling through research papers and writing assignments but then also doing placements and having to work on all your physical skills not even then including if you have other commitments such as you know family or you know financial difficulties or anything and i think really if everyone just starts being a bit more honest honest with yourself first and then honest with those around you um, and put a plan in place and it's better to be proactive about all these things than to be reactive about it because you're always going to be chasing something then. And it's just about trying to prioritize yourself, which working in healthcare is extremely hard to do because you are just forever putting your everybody else before yourself. But you, you need to you need to prioritize yourself really and your own health because you can't. You know, I keep saying I want to save the world in terms of people from injuries and ailments and whatnot, but I'm not going to be able to do that if I can't actually do my job, if I don't look after myself first. Just be honest with yourself and prioritize your own health.
1: I love it. I love it. I know. And I like what the point that you brought up that, you know, for those of us who do have a physical disability or a chronic illness, you know, we do kind of learn really early to just be like, well, you know, it's fine. I'm just going to keep pushing through it. You know, we don't know how to always say it's okay to ask for help. Um, I know I grew up with my parents. They were always very much like, you can do anything, you know, just, just push through it. You'll, you'll be fine. You can do anything. And for that, I was really grateful, but at the same time, it also does make it where now that I'm older, it's hard to sometimes ask for help or to be like, Oh, I probably should just kind of step back from that for a minute because it may not be the best thing for me. So I really like that you put that out there and we're super honest about that.
3: I'm, you know, I am so, so lucky that I've got amazing people around me. You know, my family, my friends and also colleagues. I do work with some really wonderful people. But then at times it can be detrimental to have so much support and so much positivity around you. Um, you know, everyone's always like, oh, you know, you can do anything you set your mind to, you know, you can achieve great things. Like, you know, you shouldn't impose any limitations on yourself. And I've always held myself to extremely high standards and extremely high expectations. Um, and actually more recently, the acceptance of, you know, I can't actually do anything. Like, I can't probably, I physically can't do that, no matter how much I would want to. Um, That isn't actually an option for me. And that's incredibly difficult to try and come to terms with. And it's something that I think will take me a long time. Because certainly, you know, I want to acknowledge my health and my health conditions. And I want to be an advocate for that. But I don't want that to define me. And I don't want that to be the biggest part of me. Um, and what I also feel is that if I, if I lean into that angle, maybe a little bit too much, I wouldn't want, you know, to potentially disable myself further by telling myself that all these things aren't an option. So, and, you know, I'm trying to find that fine balance between, you know, I have all these opportunities, but I also have some limitations but that's something that I'm always just going to have to live with is trying to work out the middle ground that's right for me. But I suppose everyone just needs to really do that for themselves. But it's still really hard to accept from a stubbornness point of view.
1: <laughs> yes. <laughs> Morgan, do you have any questions? So
0: going back to when you mentioned fibromyalgia and chronic fatigue in the PT community, those are populations that are chronically mismanaged. Um, PTs don't really know what to do with patients when they come in and they say they have these diagnoses. And it kind of sends up the yellow flags, like psychological roles and factors that are playing into these things. And so what sort of advice would you have for PTs in managing the symptoms that come along with these diagnoses? It's not just the diagnostic label. It's this is impacting this person's everyday life.
3: I think the difficulty is, is, you know, whether that person allows them conditions to define them. I am in, you know, I obviously have the diagnosis of fibro. And if if I put my physio hat on, like clinically 100%, like on paper, you know, everything I've been through, all the trauma I had as a child, um, you know, the relationship between my symptoms um, and the links between, you know, pain and damage and cold and pain and damage and weather and cold and pain and and all them sort of links and cycles I can totally understand that yes you know I do have fibromyalgia but then what I really feel that people need to do is you know walk alongside their problems you know don't try and resist them and don't just let them win you know just find a way to walk alongside them Really, I, I have recently, you know, reached out and I've been doing a bit of work with a colleague of mine um, regarding sort of some of the psychological trauma that um, I experienced as a child and sort of how that, you know, some of the things that happened maybe when I was like eight or nine, how that's impacted me now. Um, and it's only because I'm in a good place personally um, and within my mental health that I'm able to sort of explore all of these options. and. Um, what I would really say is that the best advice I can give anyone is that you need to advocate for self-management. Um, far too often people seek out the support of physios or other clinicians and they seek out passive treatment modalities that they think will just fix everything. And really what people need to do is be independent in their health management and you know they need to look into, know look into their conditions and you know become experts on the condition themselves you know but from credible sources and from research papers not from random articles or blog posts or different things um and i think really if somebody has a diagnosis of fibromyalgia i think the management needs to be you know multidisciplinary they need to have input from you know from medical um personnel regarding that you know from physiotherapists but also from psychologists or psychiatrists or other you know mental health providers um, and clinicians to look at everything holistically um you know so the psychologist will be able to work on sort of their thoughts their feelings but specifically their processing of things and their way of processing their symptoms and what do their symptoms mean um like you know I'm constantly telling people that pain does not mean damage it doesn't just because something hurts doesn't mean it's damage doesn't mean it's a massive problem and I think that's because if I sat there and thought pain meant damage I would probably wrap myself in bubble wrap and never leave my room and never try and move and it's just trying to normalize certain symptoms it's like yes right This is painful, but this is normal for me. I haven't hurt myself. This isn't damaging me in any way. How do I live with it? How do I work with it? Um, So I think people really need to be a bit more self-aware of themselves and their conditions. Um, I think, you know, because of the psychosocial element of fibromyalgia and other conditions that are similar, you know, you need to address them as well yes, you have these physical symptoms, but, you know, often they can be manifestations of psychological issues. So you can't purely work on the physical aspect of managing the symptoms if you're not addressing the other element of it as well.
0: Like you said, there is a big stigma around anything that has any sort of psychosocial component to it. And people are so afraid to approach physical therapy from a mental health standpoint. And so that that brings up a really glaring hole in our healthcare system. Um, So that's definitely something that we are going to be trying to push for in the future. So thank you. Yeah,
2: I definitely also love that. I know I've been trying to get a lot more into all of the biopsychosocial research and my program does push it. But at the same time, it's also you tend to see these like biases creep up about fibromyalgia and chronic pain.
3: I think, um, you know, more recently when I had like a recent flare-up of, of a lot of my symptoms, um, you know, the, the first thing that anybody kept asking me was, oh, did work cause your, your flare-up? Is it work's fault, right? So I'm like, part of it might be, part of it might be. You will never know the full origin of these things. So for me... Um, with the increased demand of working in a hospital during the pandemic, you know, everyone's working more hours um, longer hours. Everything is more physically demanding at work, more emotionally demanding at work. Um, so, yeah, so work is really hard. I've been doing a lot more. And, you know, the promotion from a previous role to the role I'm in now, you know, I have more responsibility in terms of supervising and delegating and teaching. So that's another aspect. But then it's other things like, you know, I relocated last year in the middle of the year. I moved back up to the lakes. Right. Big change. But also my partner, who's been in the Marines for 10 years, left the Marines in the middle of COVID, moved back home. And me and him moved in together. And we'd never spent more than like, I think, two weeks together before because we were always both away. And we were like, oh, we just live together now. Um, And, you know, it's looking at things like his transition from military to civilian life. It's, you know, what's going on with my family. I had grandparents that went into hospital over Christmas and it's things like that. And it's like, I cannot purely say, yes, works really hard and it caused my flare up because that's not fair. That's not fair on work. It's, you know, there's lots of other things that are going on and it's more of a cumulative effect um and you know rest and recuperation and then you know rehab and prehab on working on some of the physical um symptoms that came up and some of the difficulties I've been having and specifically say with one hip and so I've been doing a lot of work on that but then it's also looking at right well I've got these other things going on socially I need to address them and hmm, you know emotionally I've got some stuff going on I want to address that too um and I think if you try and purely sort of find one root, one root cause for anything, you know, you'll be forever searching. And what you need to do is look at all the different aspects of your life and how all of these different things can interplay into anything really. Um, but again, I think it just comes back down to people being a bit more invested in themselves and being a bit more self-aware Um, and often people don't like to do that because they like to try and blame an external factor than really looking at things intrinsically and so if we can try and change that for everyone maybe that'll help but um, people don't usually like hearing that they might be part of the problem
2: no (laughs) definitely not kind of jumping around a little bit but Going off of, you've got all these stressors going on. I know your biggest outlet is rock climbing, which is awesome. I used to rock climb a lot when I was little and do it here and there now. But frequently people who have a physical disability or a chronic illness, people are kind of hesitant to see them do sports or activities like we as PTs know it can be super beneficial, especially if you're hypermobile, need to support your joints. But how do you find that balance and how can people kind of overcome some of like the nocebic language that they're getting from healthcare providers that are like, hey, you need to be really careful because you're fragile, like air quotes fragile. Um, But kind of how have how has like rock climbing come into play there? So my partner got me
3: into climbing. He did it a lot through work with the Marines. They um, obviously do lots of different adventure sports for, you know, like adrenaline and always being quite active. But obviously I'd given up a lot of sort of my sports when I was a little bit younger. Um, and over the years of sort of university and things, I've just been predominantly going to the gym and, of work on all the little bits and bobs that I was like oh I'm not very good at that I'm gonna work on that and try and nitpick lots of different things and I've always been better at going things a little bit solo I love being part of a team don't get me wrong but certainly with regards to exercise I prefer gymnastics and because I did it by myself and athletics I did it by myself karate I did it by myself and then you've well you fought another person Um, and it was only really football where I was involved in a team and I didn't really used to like it because I used to get annoyed if other people had the ball and I didn't (laughs) um so to me like I've always preferred to exercise on my own and I've always found it much more beneficial from a physical health but also from a mental health point of view I like taking that time to be by myself and you know be mindful of where I am and what I'm doing and it's the fact that I think because for me the exercise element was so personal to I'm using this to help me overcome all of these little all of these physical um challenges and basically my partner just kept it well he just kept going rock climbing with like his brother and his friends and I was like I'm going to come, <laughs> basically. Um, so we went climbing together once. Like One day we just went indoors and um, to our local wall. And, um, well, I was, bit, I was pretty good at it because I could get my foot up really high. <laughs> it was probably one of the best things that happened to me. You know, I've mentioned earlier that my partner's been so supportive of everything. And he he has been one of very few people who has never told me I can't do anything. A lot of my stubbornness when I was younger came from the fact that people like, oh, no, you can't do that because of your legs. Oh, don't you have something wrong with your knees? You shouldn't do that. Um, and my partner is just like, do what you want. You can do that, you know. And the fact that he has always been so supportive of me really helped me overcome any of the sort of anxieties I had with trying. Um, because I was like, well, he, you know, he's so sure i can do this i should be so sure i can do this and um, and it has been like a great release for me um so we don't we don't really climb inside a lot given the fact we live in the lake district and um, we climb outside on actual mountains and um and it's brilliant and i love it and they But I think you've got to consider why you're wanting to do a certain activity. So me and my partner, we climb for very different reasons. He loves the technicality of it, you know, the athleticism of it, the problem solving. I like to go to pretty places and eat snacks. And it's a great activity for the both of us to do together. But I've used climbing massively as sort of a way to help me cope with Regards to COVID, um, you know, we actually the home wall got built in um, November when our partner and I had COVID, but he pretty much slept it off, and I was a little bit more unwell for a little bit longer. Um, given, you know, my underlying health conditions, specifically with regards to pain and fatigue, um, it really wiped me out. But my partner built this home wall so he could play on this while I was still trying to get over Covid um, but it's been really good actually climbing it you know it did help me um in terms of noticing any like strength and muscle imbalances that I had I've, I've always really struggled to develop my hip strength and I think that's because of how much my hip sublux I start making a bit of progress my hip strength hip subluxes, and and I go back however many steps and um, but then I just gradually build it back up but I think the the biggest um, benefit that climbing has given me is the development in sort of my proprioception and like my sensory awareness i think people just need to not be scared of trying something like the human body is not fragile like it is not like it is strong it is resilient like it can put up with so much um, you know, the, the biggest bit for me is, you know, people with back pain and they just feel like they don't want to move because people get told that their back's fragile. Like, no, I disagree wholeheartedly and I will argue with anybody if they try and tell me that the human body is fragile. Um, I'm just not having it. Um, when when I tell people that I rock climb and I have Ellis dan loss. Everyone's like, "Oh my god, how do you do that? does your body just not fall apart?" And I'm like, "No, it doesn't." And I think the reason for that is, you know, because I take a lot of ownership on doing so much in terms of prevention and strength bit strength building to build a base that I know my body is resilient enough. My most recent endeavor is I just bought some roller skates today. Terrible idea, probably terrible. I told you earlier when I was a toddler I used to fall over a lot um but when I was probably about 10 or 11 me and my older brother got rollerblades and caused all sorts of terror in our local village and for weeks and weeks and weeks it's that I had a dream I basically had a dream that I was on rollerblades and I haven't shut up about it since and I've bought some roller rollerblades And, you know, I have so many people that are like, you should not rollerblade. Like you have down loss, like your joint sublux, you fall over, you will hurt yourself, you'll do this, you'll do that. And that might well happen. It might well, but I really want to rollerblade. So I'm going to put a helm on, elbow pads, knee pads, whatever. But I'm going to try and rollerblade. And it might be that I fall over and I might hurt myself. But also it might be that, It works wonders for my balance. It works wonders for my proprioception. It works wonders for my single leg stability. And, you know, falling over every now and again, that's a risk I'm willing to take for the physical health benefits, but also the fact that I'm pretty sure it's going to be really, really fun to have roller skates at 25, (laughs) really. Um, And I think people just need to do that. Just find something that will be fun and just do it just start roller skating at 25 why not
2: (laughs) I think that's a great point you brought up so many wonderful things our bodies are resilient um they're not fragile especially not backs Um, (laughs) backs are not fragile and you're never gonna know if you can do something if you don't try it all right Mm. wrapping up here do you have Mm. one last piece of advice to say either a PT or a student who has a chronic illness and disability and is trying to balance physio and their health. Like one last little piece of
3: advice. So the main piece of advice that I would give anyone if they're trying to yeah balance chronic condition or any sort of injury or disability along with studying or working full-time is just to be honest with yourself and with those around you about how you feel because it is absolutely not worth like ruining your physical health in the pursuit of something great because you won't get there if you ruin yourself along the way so put your physical health first your mental health first and everything else will fall into place beautiful
2: one last thing i had lied before um if anybody wants to reach out and talk to you is there a way for them to contact
3: you uh yeah absolutely so my instagram is tash about the lakes which is what i use as my main sort of personal platform and i share bits about sort of my health and rock climbing on there um i also do have a twitter which is physio natasha and now that's predominantly physio related things stuff to do with work um, and bits and bobs from that point of view so people could contact me on either platform about absolutely anything um, even if they just want to say hi and I will share my Cinnabon recipe because it's great um, but yeah if I can help anyone with anything physio related chronic illness related or baking related then yeah shoot
2: <laughs> I love it um Thank you so much for coming on. I know we had a blast, so I'm glad that we could chat.
3: Yeah, me too. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great.
0: Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of The Adaptable Podcast. If you like today's episode and want to learn more or be a part of the conversation, you can check us out on our Instagram or Facebook group linked in the description below. You can also contact us via email at theadaptablepodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to chat with you. Thanks for tuning in and we look forward to hanging out with you next week.